This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast about the politics of a galaxy far, far away and what it can teach us about our own world right now. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, and this is episode 72, The Fandom Reformation. Joining me today is guest co-host Matthew Nugabauer, host of For Christ's Sakes, Anakin, and he's got one of the best Twitter intersections around. He is Anglican about Star Wars. He loves association football and hashtag spiritual and religious hashtag prequelist. Uh, Matthew, welcome to, uh, welcome to Beltway Banthas. First time. Yeah, first time listener, uh, long time, or sorry, for long time listener, first time uh, contributor. Uh, definitely glad to be on. Glad to, you know, my Twitter, like to be clear about what I'm on about there. Um, yeah. That's great. Uh, tell me, a, a prequelist. I like that affiliation. I should, uh, I should add that hashtag to my profile. So, full disclosure, credit to Ken Napsok and uh, the folks over at Force Center Podcast. Um, they had the, the, I got the t shirt, I got the stickers, I got the, the whole nine yards uh got even for christ's sake anakin itself is at, at its heart a prequelist podcast so we well can... i would imagine yeah i mean that's i mean was that like a nod that's a nod to obi-wan right right <laughs> a little bit so at the at the core of that and i'll do the shapeless plug here the the initial thrust of that was looking at what i call resonances i don't want to see direct one-to-one parallels necessarily but resonances between the story of the prequel trilogy and Christian tradition, scripture, mm-hmm. theology. Um, I've branched out since then, but that's... Uh, well, I think, that, I think that's a good, good point to say why I brought you on the show today and why I'm really excited that you're here to talk about this. Um, this main topic today is the, the fandom, the state of Star Wars fandom and an analogy that you can find on YouTube that we'll play later, uh, that it sort of mirrors in many ways the breakup of fandom, um, the, the Protestant Reformation and reforms within the Catholic Church. You are a religious guy. You sort of are one of those people who, I would say is like religion Twitter, like your philosophy, <laughs> religion, history. So we're going to get into all this and more. But first, there is a giant heaping dark side elephant in the room named Ray that we need to discuss and discuss it we shall. To do that, please welcome my friend, nerd, and fellow Politico, Caleb Franz. He's the executive director of the Maliberty Initiative. He's tweeting at Caleb Franz. Caleb, welcome to Beltway Panthers. Hey, Stephen. I really appreciate the the, the nerd came before the Politico. I, I, I like that a lot. <laughs> well, that is who we that's who we really are, man. I mean, do you come out do you come out of the womb of uh, a, a yeah. Politico and you know following <laughs> following this mess in Washington, DC. Yep. I would say that you don't and you first become a Star Wars fan. So, you know, that's your first affiliation. That is correct. Yes, absolutely. 
So I brought you on because I need someone to talk about, man. Like, my gosh, what a news dump over the weekend uh, out of D23. That's the uh, that's sort of the Disney annual expo. I think biannual? Yeah, maybe I they think do it I, twice it's biannual, year? I think, yeah. Yeah, the, the Disney biannual expo where they just sort of dump, you know, teasers, information, stuff. <laughs> this was the year of Disney+. Plus, and this yes. was sort of the main focus of the, of the expo this year where they were focusing on the streaming platform that's going to be coming out and all the different you know, properties and things are going to go on it. And we're going to talk about that. But first we have to talk about the rise of Skywalker teaser trailer. It was mostly a sizzle reel, um, kind of crudely cut together, like fan art, mm-hmm. <laughs> of, yeah. you know, uh, you know, su- summarizing the entirety of the star Wars saga leading up to this moment. And we got some new images and and clips from The Last Jedi, which have, you know, I'm sorry, not The Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker, that have basically lit our imaginations on fire. Uh, so to you first, what what captured your imagination? What really took you sort of down the theory wormhole this weekend when that teaser dropped? Yeah, so I, I guess the first thing that really stuck out to me um, is that I felt for the first time in this uh, in, in this sequel uh, trilogy that it is truly a connected saga um, because in eight and and even in seven to some extent it felt very much like a a bit of a branch universe. Um, as opposed to one that is a continuation of all that came before it uh, in the in the prequels and the original trilogy, um, but what this teaser managed to do, at least for me, uh, is that it really made me feel like okay, this is this is going to bring literally everything together. Yeah. Uh, it is, makes you feel like story group, you know, has, yeah. has actually acknowledged, you know, that, that there right. were, that there were prequel movies and, that there yeah, was that's, the, and that's the biggest yeah. thing too, because it, yeah. I, I am a big, you know, as, as bad as, as they can be sometimes, I, I really love what the prequels did. Um, and I really love the, uh, the direction as far as storytelling, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, Sith fan, Revenge of the Sith fan, episode mm-hmm. three. Yeah. Um, and, and that's my Star Wars, of, baby. Yeah. yeah a lot of callbacks <laughs> to a lot of that, even with the Sith troopers, I know that wasn't really in this teaser. Uh, and it's, it was more in some of like the merchandising and stuff like that. But, uh, the Sith troopers, if you look directly, you know, they're, they're modeled after the clone troopers. Well, Caleb, you know, I think I think you're on to something here with, you know, just the fact that they are are really now showing just how interconnected the saga is going to be with this movie capping it off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of mentioned like it seems like now there is sort of an acknowledgement that the prequels existed. Yeah. <laughs> and and, you know, you could say that this is tying just back to the original trilogy uh, with Palpatine making a reappearance in this movie, which uh, apparently Giant he will be. But, you know, about, yeah. but, but, you know, that goes back that goes back now to to episode three and the tragedy mm-hmm. of Darth Plagueis and the pursuit of eternal life. It mm-hmm. all makes more sense now, but I guess let's talk about some specific images that were in the trailer. So, all right, dark side Ray, what the yes. heck, what the heck was that? Now, my, my kid has always been theorizing that Ray was going to go dark because she has an anger problem. <laughs> I, I don't buy it. Um, were you thinking that this was a real image or you think that this is something that they're using to tease and bait us? Yeah, I think this is, I I think this is the most obvious piece of bait that I've seen in, in marketing in a while. (laughs) Um, I I think this is very reminiscent of, 
I, I really think this is a vision, um, not not anything to be taken seriously. At most, it could be a clone, but I really, really think it's it's a vision, just because, especially if you <laughs> clone. look. Yeah, I mean, you know, anything is is possible, especially with an how, Infowars conspiracy how, here. How fond uh, Palpatine was with cloning. Um, uh, I, I do think that uh, this was a vision, mostly because, especially if you listen right before they they show her, you hear a lot of voices. You hear like Vader's breathing, um, a lot of things that if if you just kind of listen to it, it's very reminiscent of a couple things. One, uh, the Dagobah scene in Episode Five um, with Luke and Vader, and then he cuts off his head and then reveals that it was him. Um, and then also in episode seven, the whole vision scene that Ray under underwent, and a lot of those scenes were in uh, the the trailers leading up to the Force Awakens as well. And I think this is more or less just sort of, I guess, a combination of those two. And uh, something else I noticed: it looked like if you looked over to the right of her, um, it looked like she was kind of in the the place where she was in the Last Jedi in that cave. Um, and, and with the, with the reflection going on there. Yeah. I actually asked, I think that is, is very true. I think she's going to go back to that dark side cave yeah. and have a new vision. And yeah. Ray, Ray is scared of the dark. She's scared of what she could become, but there's also a possibility here that that is something that Kylo is seeing and not Ray. Very um, true. Yeah, you know, that's Ky- very true. Kylo's afraid of Ray in many ways. He sort of views her as somebody I think I think particularly when Snoke was around, that Snoke might just like want to have her as an apprentice more than him. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of like her almost as a threat. Yeah, kind of like the way that Palpatine wanted Luke um, when he was in front of him. Um, for sure. In, in episode six instead of Vader. It's totally possible that yeah. Kylo could view her uh, as some sort of the next real heir apparent of the dark side and not him. That's sort of one of his complexes. So that's a possibility. But I think we're united here that that is not imagery of an actual outcome in the movie. That that's, right. not, that's not imagery of a real choice that's going to be made because, all right, come on, that would just be – that would be showing a lot of leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing is anytime there's something really juicy, unless it's just like painfully obvious, like their entire marketing has been showing off all all of the entire movie, um, which has not been the case for for this film. Um, then this is very clearly misdirect. I, so, I think in my mind. So so yeah, I think we we agree on that and this is this is the area where I think that there's something that is not shown as a misdirection but just opens up a heck of a lot of questions. The star destroyers. Right. Yes. Now, I will yes. I will admit I had to go I had to go to Star Wars Twitter to get like to get an, a, a take on this where I went uh-huh. on, I hopped on Twitter and then all my friends who are deep in the Star Wars community were all talking about the Star Destroyers and I was like uh what what's the big deal guys and yeah. then and then I had to I had to read it and I was like oh they're right those aren't first order star no, destroyers yeah and then, I mean and yeah. then then I knew because it was obvious like the the star destroyers are distinct in both sagas so mm-hmm. what is that about and you know, I guess my theory, reading, having having read all the extra canonical books, um, and having read, or I'm sorry, played the video games, the the Battlefront games, um, uh, this seems to me to be a new canon version 
of the remnant, also known now as the contingency plan, the possibility that the empire is actually still out there, that they are still in deep space, hiding and waiting for their moment, which, oh, Mo, I didn't ever think that this was a possibility. Yeah, they're they're doing some real deep, deep cuts into um, extended universe uh, mythology. Uh, and that's not something uncommon. They've they've done that before in in the new Disney saga because I think they knew, um, you know, that getting rid of all the EU stuff, a lot of fans would sort of backlash against that. And uh, to sort of comfort them, they would sort of mix mix it into the things that they were creating. Um, but this was by far the the Star Destroyer scene was by far my favorite scene of that that scissor reel uh even more so than uh than the ray scene because yeah. of all the sort of windows that that opens um, i thought the ray <laughs> scene was pretty you know pretty straightforward that was meant to be the the jaw-dropping scene but it was really kind of misdirection but that i think was very real yeah uh, what we were getting and I'll, i i haven't seen a lot of people catch that like i've seen a lot of people talk about how they're like first order star destroyers and not like these are imperial star destroyers yeah and, and, <laughs> and that's I, I think really that's something where, where the fans have a lot to chew on here yeah. and you know I, I don't i don't know how how caught up you are on some of the new canon materials and the way that they've sort of reframed the idea of the remnant but mm-hmm. the basics of this are the contingency plan is the emperor's plan for in case he was killed and yeah. and how the empire is going to survive from, uh, from battlefront 2 is, yeah. is yeah what yeah. you're what you're referencing there. Yeah. Absolutely. And so the basics of this, and I might get some of the details wrong and people can tweet me and tell me tell me what to, to correct here, but that the Empire and sort of the anointed chosen leaders within the Empire were designated to uh, hide in deep space, the unknown regions of space and wait, I think really just for orders, wait for orders from Palpatine. And there's mm-hmm. sort of a there's sort of a play on there that you have to have faith that Palpatine, Palpatine's death is not the end, you know, of him. And so I think that what you have is you have a bunch of imperial officers and cultists who surround the emperor, know that he gets killed, and they go, I have faith. The great leader is not truly gone. We'll go into the unknown regions, and we will wait. And I think what you're going to have happen is the people who are impatient and had their own ideas are what the First Order became. The people who launched themselves into the First Order are the folks who didn't really have faith that the Emperor could actually have a grand plan, and they wanted to act now. And you, gosh, you could have Stormtrooper on Stormtrooper violence in this upcoming movie. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, the, that's going to be the really interesting um, facet. I mean, there's going to be several very interesting facets of this film, but how... Um, uh, how the first order plays into this, as opposed to say whatever you know, whatever we just saw with with the Imperial Remnant, um, I think that's going to be very interesting because um, a lot of a lot of Imperials, I I, I see a lot of people who um, who are very, I guess, different about uh, about what what direction that could be taken, and and there's. A plethora of theories about it, but uh, <laughs> all of it's very exciting. Yeah, I think those are the two top lines from that teaser. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, besides the possibility that C three PO might have psychic powers and his yes, and his- Darth three PO <laughs> is my favorite. Uh, my favorite part. Darth Darth Jar Jar is out. Darth three PO is in. So so Caleb, uh, I want to, I want to give you sort of guest choice. Where we don't have time to talk tackle everything from D twenty three. There is the Mandalorian. There is mm-hmm. Obi Wan Kenobi returning to screen. There is the Star Wars <laughs> Hotel. What yeah. are you most excited about? Um, well, I mean, like, you know, I, I saw the trailer just like you did for the Mandalorian and that got me very excited, but by far the most excited thing I am within the star Wars universe currently is, uh, even more so than I would say probably episode nine is, um, is Kenobi. The negotiations were short. That, that is incredibly exciting. It's something that I think the fans have wanted for so long. Um, and then, you know, of course we always got those little teases about the, about the Obi-Wan movie and then Solo happened. And then, you know, there's, there's a lot of like back, back room stuff that, that was going on there. But now to hear Ewan McGregor officially say, yes, I am coming back as Obi-Wan. That is by far my most excited thing, uh, that, that, uh, happened at D23. Yeah. You know, I, I have just sort of dreamed about this for a decade. I love the prequels. I love Ewan mm-hmm. McGregor. I am a huge fan of him as an actor. I love his. I just, I just love everything about him. My God, I'm a Moulin Rouge, uh, <laughs> Moulin Rouge obsessive <laughs> fan, and yeah. I would like an Obi Wan Kenobi musical personally. But anyways, <laughs> no. So it's going to be him in between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope, presumably aging in the form of a series on Disney Plus. This is this is massive, massive news. They're going to start producing this film in 2020, I believe, is when they are going to start. So I don't know. They've turning things around pretty quickly these days. Maybe we have a 2021 Obi Wan series. Yeah, um, and you know, I've got to say, I think I think this and the Mandalorian uh, are the two things that have really won a significant portion of the Star Wars fandom back. Um, as far as Disney is concerned, um, because I know a lot of people are burnt out on the sequel trilogy. Um, I'm not necessarily in that camp. I do understand a lot of the frustrations, uh, in, in some regards. Um, but this is something that it doesn't matter really if you're an OT guy, if you're a prequel guy, or if you're, um, a sequel guy, this is very exciting. Um, and the, the, possibilities that it unlocks is just endless uh as far as like could we get possibly a force ghost qui-gon in the show which is something i'm really sort of that is uh, what i need in my life more more than anything is more liam neeson (laughs) so right exactly you know i i think and this is the main subject of today's show is the breakup and and fracture within star wars fandom that has existed since 2012 when disney purchased the saga and I do think that there's a huge chance to sort of bring people back into the fold. And it is by telling the stories that people have actually been dying to see on screen. Now, in the form of The Mandalorian, we're not getting the Boba Fett movie that I think fanboys have been salivating over since the 80s. But we are getting a Mandalorian picture. We're getting a Mandalorian bounty hunter situation, gunslinging. It's it's essentially what you want without any sort of ruining of the canon around Boba Fett. And yeah. I think Solo was a good movie, but my my 
my belief about that film still to this day is there's not a single person who wanted that movie. There wasn't, there yes. was, there wasn't <laughs> a crowd out there saying, Hey, recast Harrison Ford and bring us a new Han yeah. Solo, a young Han Solo. Yeah. It was no. perfectly fine as far as the film, as far as film quality goes, but as far as like fandom and as far as what people actually wanted, it was an Obi-Wan movie. And, and first and foremost, I think, and then also, you know, something within the realm of like what the Mandalorian is trying to do. Those two things are what the fandom wanted, not Han Solo. Cause I think most people kind of saw that as like, yeah, that's a complete story. We, we get it. We understand who Han Solo is, what he was trying to do and, and how he sort of, his arc was, was kind of complete there. Yeah. And Ewan McGregor enjoyed the benefit, I think of universal love in Star Wars fandom. There was not ever, that I remember, a contingency of fans who were like, Ewan McGregor has destroyed Obi-Wan Kenobi. That, no, that's not no. a thing. He was like one of the people who carried the the strong reviews for the prequels. He was believed to yeah. be like the natural successor uh, to Alec Guinness. So I, I think it's all just in really good shape. What a, yeah, to- what a time and, to be alive. Ewan McGregor and, and E. McDermott, I think, were the, the highlights of, uh, of the prequels. And uh, Ian McDermott provided, for me at least, you know, one of my top three cinematic villains uh, of all time. So I, I'm, those two facets that both of them are coming back uh, all within, you know, the same two-year period is, is just incredibly exciting for me. I have one request, and this is, this is what we'll round out on to Disney and Disney Plus, is the series that I want more than anything while Ian McDiarmid is still with us and walking this earth. I want a Palpatine, a Chancellor Palpatine and Queen, not Queen, Senator Amidala series that focuses almost exclusively on the politics going on during his rise to power, the stuff that was in the deleted scenes in episodes two and three, and really building that part of the story out in a series, politics and the Senate. We deserve this. Just call it the Senate. <laughs> the Senate, yes. No, I, I think that that would be a really cool series. Uh, but, you know, obviously, I think that that would uh, alienate uh, most right, fans yeah. under the age of 12. So Yeah, well, you know, you know you, you, beggars can't be choosers, I guess. And uh, we, we are getting <laughs> you know quite a bit of, of content. And I, I've got to say, this is fully re-energize this weekend uh this this d23 weekend has fully re-energized my spirits um as far as star wars is concerned and i am incredibly excited for all the possibilities that it that is coming in the future well, I'm excited for you and your recharged battery. Caleb Franz, Executive Director of the Maliberty Initiative. Caleb, please tell people where they can find out more about what you do, what it is you do, uh, and how to find you on Twitter. Yeah, so the Maliberty Initiative uh, is is an organization I founded and run. Uh, we focus a lot on our current advocacy project is um, called the Reintegration Project. It kind of focuses on uh, trying to get people reintegrated back in society, give them a second chance. Um, you can, of course, follow me on Twitter at Caleb Franz and uh, organizations on Twitter at Maliberty Org. Absolutely. Caleb, thanks so much for being on Beltway Bathus. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it. All right. And with that, we're going to go back to Matthew Nugenbauer and we're going to talk about Star Wars and the great breakup within fandom that we're calling the Fandom Reformation. You're listening to Beltway Banthas, Star Wars, Politics, and More, brought to you by the RetroZap Podcast Network. 
Join us on Discord and continue the conversation. Email beltwaybanthas at gmail.com for your invite to join the channel. Then you can chat with host Stephen Kent and your fellow Banthas about Star Wars and politics anytime. What the fan base is going through can perhaps be best understood by looking at one of the biggest legitimation crises of the last millennia, one that changed the landscape of the entire world. You see, Disney is facing the same kind of legitimation crisis the Catholic Church did in the 1500s, when their congregations began to rebel. But now the authority has moved from a single divinely inspired leader to a larger infallible organization, and people question why they wield authority in developing quasi-holy texts or its canon. All right, and welcome back to Beltway Banthas. What you were just listening to was a video from Wise Crack Productions that looks at fandom's enormous tension and breakup since Disney's purchase of Star Wars in 2012 for the tune of roughly $4 billion uh, from George Lucas. It looks at how that sale by Lucas sparked what you could call a crisis of legitimacy in leadership and identity for the Star Wars faithful. The parallel is, of course, according to this video, the Protestant Reformation and the decline of the Catholic Church in the 16th century amidst political scandal, new innovations that made the church vulnerable to new forms of dissent and alternative thinking. Now, the first thing that I want to say before we come back in here with Matthew is that I'm pretty resistant to this kind of stuff, like YouTuber analysis in particular, because it's really just such a hive of complaining and moaning and sort of like fan aggrievement about Star Wars. And that tends to come from an ugly place, in my opinion. But this particular video that someone had sent to me actually felt different, and not so much as trying to make a point about the Star Wars movies or their quality. There are other videos for that uh, that they've made. But this video really, for me, helped under, helped me to understand this, this time in which we're living, this phenomenon going on within fandom. There's no doubt a lot of change. And I want to ask Matthew here first, since he's joining he has, joining us on the show this week. You know, do you see fandom as being in a better or worse place since Disney uh, took uh, took the reins in 2012, several years after the conclusion of a very divisive prequel trilogy? Are things better or worse? So one of the things I want to mention is just the way my way into the answering this question is I thought in terms of the relationship between Lucasfilm Disney and the fandom and because that's in a lot of ways what the video itself sets up as the question so overall um, so the reason I would say things are are just as good if not better in that relationship specifically um, the the video was made in uh, I believe in October of 2018. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, the first th things that come to my mind are the images from Star Wars Celebration from uh, D23 that we just saw this past weekend. From the way, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the way that Lucasfilm Disney is very encouraging of all the fan speculation that we just had on this show about about the trailer um you know th they've always been encouraging of that but I, I do think there's a lot more visible unanimity behind uh behind disney lucasfilm 
Um, I do know that, sure, that, that those are the images that that Disney and Lucasfilm want us to see. There, of course, are people who have complaints and have concerns and don't fully trust the Kathleen. I think, I think what you're pointing to is like the fandom's bigger. The fandom yeah. is, is much bigger. And a lot of the positivity and the culture around fandom has definitely changed from when I was a kid. I won't make you date yourself, but you know, I was, I was a, a preteen when the prequels were coming out and the fandom was, was quite ugly at that time. It was definitely the olds versus the youngs, but it was still sort of, I don't know. It was still sort of indicative of the old days of, you know, Star Wars fanboying, right? And it was the older, older boys versus the younger boys and belittling them for liking the new prequel movies. And Star Wars fandom's bigger now. It's more inclusive. It's got more people involved. So in, in one way, you could say, yeah, it's, things are better. Um, there's a lot of excitement. And I am one of those people who very much believes in fostering positive fandom where like, why would you sit around all day bemoaning and, and whining about Star Wars? Like, that's not fun. How do you have a fulfilling life doing that? And this culture, I think, is, has changed a little bit where I think most fans now really don't want to hear about the, the, the hating on Star Wars. They just want to talk about what they like about it. I mean, I think it's at a point where if there is a positive policing and a positive gatekeeping, the um, I mean the, the there worst, is some of that yeah the worst aspects of the responses I mean the Kelly Marie, Marie Tran reaction well the reaction to her rather um, you know that that I think we you know Ahmed Best himself saw twenty years ago in, more in the mainstream that that's been far less accepted so uh, yeah it, it's there's a lot more positivity a lot more inclusion that has fostered uh, a better unity not uniformity but unity and uh, i'm excited i'm going to my first celebration in august next august and congratulations looking forward to that um i think even and you mentioned the 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 old prequel fight yeah and i've you know i've definitely shown my cards uh, I wear them proudly. Hashtag prequelist. Hashtag prequelist. And I think, uh, well, no, I know for sure. I mean, we are now in a prequelist golden age, right? We're getting the Kenobi story. We're getting more Clone Wars. We're, you know, we're we have the we have you know, the TPM at twenty is being uh, a very much part of this movement. And the rise of Skywalker in some ways looks like it's going to acknowledge the existence of the prequels. I hope so. Right? You know, it, that's, uh, that's what it is looking like. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. looking like that. Although here's the thing is, even with The Last Jedi, and one of the things I loved about The Last Jedi is the way it took seriously the story of the prequel trilogy, right? Yeah. That just, just that one line, but not just the one line of, at the height of their powers, the Jedi let Darth Sidious, not Palpatine, Darth yeah. Sidious rise wipe the uh form the empire and wipe them out um taking that story seriously as essential to the main story of the saga there's a sense even i want to say the word prequel is a misnomer because it's not backstory it's main story all that to say in fandom then our reception of that story and 
you know, whether you, you like it or dislike it, there's a far easier relationship. I would describe it, and I don't want to get too far ahead of talking about the, you know, the, the church parallel here. But yeah, like you said, there was a, an ugly schism. There, were, there was a heresy, and then there was. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, gosh, remember, remember the people versus George Lucas. Yeah, exactly. For for goodness' sakes, yeah, like when when you sort of talk about the 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 crisis of fandom, right? Like that this video is basically saying that like this is the worst it has ever been. It's never been more more bad than this. You could easily come back and say like, my goodness, do you remember how things were? They made a documentary, <laughs> The People versus George Lucas, that came out uh, in the height of the of the prequel era, and it was just this cynical and angry. A documentary focused on on sort of fanboys who felt like George Lucas had you know just sort of scrubbed the the series clean for money and for action figures and ruined my childhood kind of thing. That oh, thing. there was the there was the song in the trailer about like George Lucas raped my childhood. Like my God, my God, it's just so over the top, so over the top. And in in that that documentary, one of the central grievances was not necessarily the marketing of Star Wars, but that was a component. But the the remakes, or not the remakes, but the, the new edited versions and the special editions and the revision of the original text mm-hmm. and sort of taking what in many ways was the gospel of Star Wars fandom and retconning it to match George Lucas's quote unquote real vision for what Star Wars always should have been. That was quite contentious. And I didn't really think much of it back then, but now I kind of look back on it and go, you know, that was, that was kind of weird. Like that was a very dicey situation. You had Irwin, Irvin Kirshner, who, you know, directed one of the movies and a different person, um, uh, for for Return of the Jedi, you know they were directors of those movies, and George Lucas just happened to own the rights to them, and he just does new versions of them without <laughs> director can like that's kind of that's kind of nuts, and it's understandable, I guess, how you get that rift, but it's been pretty ugly before. Yeah, and so, I mean, what my point going leading to that was, before it was is this heresy, and then the schism, and then you and I grew up and started to actually have purchasing power, started to yep. have cultural influence. Um, I, I mean, I'll admit, I used to buy into the rhetoric of, oh, the prequels, blah, 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 garbage, blah, 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 jar, jar, blah, blah, blah. And I realized I was just going along with it because that's what everyone else was saying. Yeah, and, I, I went through a period of that too. And so... I, yeah, what I think I mentioned, I had a prequelist conversion. <laughs> there. Anyway, um, my point being, though, is now it's a far more ecumenical relationship. And what I mean by that is, yeah, there are people, there are people who dislike the story, dislike the prequels, dislike the uh, quality of the films and the acting, but they at least can start appreciating the story. Um, everyone wants Ewan McGregor, right? Everyone yeah. wants Ian McDermott. Everyone wants John Williams. Um, and then they and then they they have a lot. I find that people having a lot more respect for those of us who really love the prequels. And I mean, Revenge of the Sith is my favorite movie ever. 
right? I think it's, I, I enjoy it better than Empire Strikes Back. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I do. I, I do too. I do too. It's actually, it's my number two Star Wars film next to Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, Revenge of the Sith is, is top, top of the barrel for me. You know, like that's, that's one of the best Star Wars films. And I, I think that that is a, a good point. And it sort of brings us to mm-hmm. why we are having this weird sort of nostalgia moment in, in fandom culture where all of a sudden like prequelism and fan positivity is in vogue. And I think that goes to one of the questions raised in this video um, that was put out by Wisecrack. And the central the central sort of political philosophy that they lay out here that explains what is going on in fandom that I think makes a lot of sense is the concept of the legitimation crisis coined by Jurgen Habermas. A legitimation crisis is an existential crisis that threatens the foundation of a social system. Now we're talking about a German uh, early 20th century philosopher, I think socialist as well, um, great, great political theorist. You know. Conversation with theologians. Yeah, well. and he wrote a, a pamphlet with uh, Joseph Ratzinger, Benedict XVI. So yeah, he's in that world too a little bit. Incredibly profound, and and writes about legitimation crises as being what can like unravel a society, and. He, he sort of says here that, you know, when the, when the foundation of a social system is threatened, everything falls apart. And so that sort of leads you to ask, well, what is a, a social system? And this ties to Star Wars pretty clearly, and we'll get to that. Um, Habermas points out three pillars of a social system. Governmental pillars, the sociocultural pillar, and the economic pillar. Um, the, the governmental side of this is, I think, where you get the prequel nostalgia that has sort of come back. In, in Jürgen's theory, governmental legitimacy sort of refers to how in, in a society, a monarchical society, the king is ordained by God. There is an acceptance in the society and the nobles and the hierarchies and the towers and on, on the ground level, you, you want to have on the ground level a belief that God picked this person to be king. And for that reason, we will serve and we will listen. Democracies, we sort of look to our constitutions. And in some cases, democracies look to the will of the people sort of as the thing that gives the government legitimacy. You know, society works and stays together as long as people view that system as a legitimate system. And when governments are keeping people fed and wealthy and safe, things stay calm. You could argue that's kind of why we are in a place where things are not calm in the United States of America today um, when it comes to disparity on fed, wealthy, and safe. Um, But here's the thing. George Lucas was, in a sense, the monarch of Star Wars. He was God-ordained and almost God incarnate because he was the creator. He was the holy figure, the prophet who brought, you know, <laughs> who brought the, the Ten Commandments down from on high. He was like, he was the prophet, the God, the king all in one, basically to say he was, he was the guy. And he was ordained as the divine in that context. And the prequels, I think now people are looking back and going, so that was still when we looked to the God, right? Like the person who had a vision and I said it on the episode last week, and I, I kind of like only half believe it, but I'm not sure that Star Wars in many ways today is put together by focus groups. <laughs> and and that, that's the big question, right? Like, what do you, what do you think about that? I'm, I've rambled a bit. I'm sorry. So 
I mean, there, there are a few things I actually do like about this video, and that, that is a, a helpful parallel that I have thought about in that the way, um, yeah, the, you have George Lucas giving us the story, giving us the world, giving us the, the, the direction and vision uh, for what giving us the sandbox. And then you have, it gets handed on to Disney and Bob Iger and then Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm, uh, well, the people who are now at Lucasfilm and the story group, right? That is actually an interesting way of talking about how church authorities uh, for the last 2000 years have interpreted the Christian faith. What we're talking about is the word tradition. And I said the, the term handed on, that's mm -hmm. literally what tradition means to tradere, the Latin, to, ha to, to hand over. My Latin pronunciation isn't that great right now. <laughs> Shame but, on you. Sorry. Uh, my uh, <laughs> Latin teacher from what, five years ago would be upset. But anyway. Um, so, yes, that that is a helpful way of talking about it. Um, the I think what we were getting at, I, I that history is a bit revisionist. It's actually a little, no, it's a little bit, yeah, a little bit. It's actually no, it's it's quite revisionist in that there was yeah, we talked about George Lucas. I don't even want to make the joke. It's it's too offensive. George Lucas ruined my childhood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't I don't claim that, but people were claiming that. Yeah, like the level of distrust they had, and that this was the mainstream of the fandom. Mm -hmm. They were against. The people who were creating it yeah they were raging they were raging against the excesses of their god right who was sort of no longer acting in good faith mm -hmm. and milking the faith for you know his his own purposes and people hated that and it's very like how jk rowling has sort of fallen out of grace with the harry potter fandom for a lot of different reasons but for one of the reasons is her weird revisionism of the text Mm -hmm. uh, to sort of to sort of like ameliorate political concerns about the books, and George Lucas did this with his art, and it deeply deeply offended people. I don't remember ever going to a Star Wars event where you didn't hear about, you know, did Han shoot first? The only reason <laughs> the only reason we're having this debate is because George Lucas changed the changed the religion in the middle of his reign. And so I think what we're getting at, and when there are people who are, were disgruntled, disgruntled, especially with The Last Jedi, it's that response to change. It's that response to... And the video does rightly point this out, that I've held on to this vision of what Luke Skywalker is. I've held on to the legend of Luke Skywalker. I've held on to all these legends materials that go into that and uh, you know the, the Thrawn trilogy and the Vong or whoever. I haven't gotten too much into legends on this. Yeah, and we'll we'll but, talk about that in the socio-cultural sure. pillar. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, but when I say you know the the images from uh, from Celebration from D twenty three, the fact that the Celebration tickets, I don't know how quickly they sold out uh, in in how many minutes. The relationship between the government and the people the majority of them are now on very much on this side. They, I, I would can see from those images by and large have accepted the change, have accepted the, the transition of power, if you will. 
the legitimacy of especially the story group, uh, but also Kathleen Kennedy to some extent uh, in administering and interpreting the story going forward. It helps that we're getting all these stories that we're really excited about. Yeah. And, and so I think, I think that actually is a good point since you mentioned story group to take us to the sociocultural pillar of, of what goes into a legitimacy crisis in, in the context of fandom. So um, so you could say that basically what happens in Star Wars fandom, it's a social system. It rose between 1977 and 1999, really sort of crystallizing, I think, in that time after Return of the Jedi when you just were sort of in the wilderness of Star Wars mm-hmm. and people had to really form community around Star Wars to keep that flame alive. And that's where you get you know, the fanboy culture. And as that fandom matured in the 2000s, I think that was when things for the first time got dicey because the, the, the culture itself was being invaded by children <laughs> because all these oh, no. people, all these people are older and getting invasions of children who are excited about, uh, you know, young Anakin and Jar Jar. And it was the first time where you sort of saw the, the, the culture of Star Wars fandom disrupted. And the culture was united around a lot of different things, understood themes about the movies, values, redemption, simple sort of light side versus dark side themes, patriar- not patriarchal theme, I was going to say, um, um, just relationships between fathers and sons, that kind of thing, and, and Jedi lower. But the thing that I think this video gets wrong about the social system of Star Wars is that it sort of passes it off as if it was cohesive at that time, that in the 90s and early 2000s, the moniker of Star Wars fandom was cohesion and understand understand and shared understanding of the text, right? And of the faith. Because we're, we're, we're using this big religious analogy here. So we're talking about these people as like members of a, of a religious sect. And I think what defines the fandom at that time is anarchy, <laughs> total anarchy. That's what the EU was, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the funny thing about this video is, I mean, the, the relationship between the films and the other content was, I mean, the, there was a relationship, but it was often quite tenuous. And, um, you know, you hear about George Lucas having never read any of this stuff um, when Phantom Menace comes out, I don't know how much he even bothers to take into account any of that. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, he kind of he make the video makes this assumption that wasn't there, as, as you say. So, um, I think, and I, I guess I don't, I don't want to say like wasn't there. Because Sorry, you're right. No, it wasn't but like, there to the extent that it, he's claiming. Yeah, it's because well, there's two different things here, and I'm going to have trouble articulating this. But yeah. it's it's one of the things that I think have changed about fandom for the better. Which you know, I've I've said fanboys a couple of times. Like there is a trope and an understanding about the way Star Wars fandom was before the Disney era, which was that it was not very inclusive, um, dominated by men, white men in particular, and you know they're they're just you know, bullying kids at comic book shops if they get, you know, prequel stuff and all this kind of crap because they just want to preserve the way things were in the 70s and the 80s. And I think that that defines in many ways a cohesion in Star Wars fandom. It was exclusive and it was not bringing in more people. And that's ugly. And, but the, but the anarchal side of it that I think they completely miss is that Disney brought order 
to Star Wars, where there was no understanding of what the facts were after Return of the Jedi, or, or heck, what happened in between the movies in some of these weird, weird EU novels and comics and choose-your-own-adventure stories. What defined Star Wars fandom at that time was that Star Wars was whatever you wanted it to be, right? So maybe that, in a sense, the anarchy that surrounded Star Wars back then was that Star Wars was what you made it and what you believed it was after Return of the Jedi because there were multiple books you could read <laughs> mm-hmm. about this stuff. And, and even, yeah, the choose-your-own-adventure stuff. So maybe the offense that has been taken is that order has been imposed and things have been removed from people's, what we call it, headcanon, right? Yeah. Um, just trying to you know, think of where I want to go with this. I do think there was at least this underlying sense. And again, I mentioned who Luke is and what he ends up doing and, and you know, how he, he ignites the green all over the place and he's still the good guy. Right. Whereas in the last Jedi, he ignites the green. And for that instant, he's, he's not a good guy in that moment. Yeah. Um, so I, and I, so I'm basing that reaction. I, I, I do think there was this, in that sense, a cohesive narrative uh, that Ryan Johnson directly challenges in terms of, and I'll get to be specific here in that, uh, the myth of redemptive violence. And I know that's uh, maybe an overused thing, an overgeneralized thing, but at the very least, the idea that the heart of the story was you kill the bad guys. You're the good guy and you kill the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and what Ryan Johnson especially pointing out is that's not what we see with, you know, with Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi. He doesn't kill Darth Vader, <laughs> right? Um, he follows specifically what Rose says, that uh, this, is not how, this is how we win, not by killing what we hate, by saving what we love. So, yes, I, in terms of the structure of people who were able to pick and choose and so much content and so many authors and, and creatives inputting, yes, I do see that. I think because it's more inclusive now, I think that by definition, there is this opportunity to, at the very least, focus on the... Uh, the aspect of fandom that you like the most, right? That there is, again, I said this, this respect for diversity, again, another overused phrase, but it's just, it's a lot more chill, right? If it just, and this is interesting, just the other day at, at Fan Expo Canada, I talked to a guy and I asked him, you know, what do you think of The Last Jedi? And he, he hated it. And okay, I'm, trying to embody this this attitude of respecting difference so i just and this is just my personality you know hearing him openly talk about about that uh, i can love the prequels and i don't feel like people are telling me yeah we brought this up multiple times in this podcast but there there is a uni- uh, a unity within that order because their unity or order done rightly can provide a basis for diversity 
uh, unity done rightly can provide that freedom and grounding with which to explore different angles and different avenues. So with kind of all that laid out there, and we've sort of looked here at the governmental side of Star Wars, the, you know, who's in charge, who was it handed off to, and do people accept that as legitimate? We have the socio-cultural sort of bubbles popped, and then we sort of have the economic factors that surround Star Wars. The, and I think that really ties to the governmental factor, where mm-hmm. I think people are just sort of skeptical of like the money exchanging hands aspect of Star Wars, where you know, I think you know, people are skeptical of, of people getting rich off of Star Wars. They were from the beginning. And the idea that you know, Mickey Mouse comes in and, and gets you know, Star Wars for $4 billion, and everybody gets you know, richer and happier off of, off of our emotions is part of the economic crisis that connects to the governmental side of Star Wars. But this takes us to, to basically how you have a legitimation crisis mm-hmm. within Star Wars, those three different things. And the analogy for this, like we framed, is with the Catholic Church in the 1500s, faced with disruption in the flow of information, access to physical Bibles, um, proliferated by the, the start of the printing press in the 1440s um, by Gutenberg. And now people have access to the text and they can read it for themselves and make their own interpretations. You get a wave of new opinions that can be heard about God. And believers went from being just consumers of the faith to active interpreters of the canon uh, <laughs> in that so sense. The frame from, page from. Yeah, the canon, the canon of God. And and like I want to, I want to just ask you about like that. Do what do you think is kind of like right and wrong about that Catholic analogy? And and can you kind of walk us through some of those interesting details that are top lined there? So I'll start with what is right again. Is um, it's fair to say that both, or, or certainly the Reformation was a legitimation crisis, um, as as I've implied. In, in this episode, I, I don't fully think, I don't think there is the same extent of a legitimation crisis with Disney Lucasfilm, but yes, that it was, it's a helpful thing to raise. Is this like that? And that's, yeah, it's a fair question. Um, yeah, because we're not going to get a Protestant church in Star Wars. You no. can't. You can't do that. No. That's not how it works. But just in sort of highlighting that, like, mm-hmm. as far as being a Christian, like Catholicism yeah. was the rules of the road up until this point of the t- point in time, and you had entire societies ordered around what the Pope said and what the Pope thinks, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you don't. Yeah. I think that kind of goes to the point. Was it? Is it the case that? access to more information, actual Bibles and distribution was something that led to that crisis um, of legitimacy for the church? Sort of. And, and I, I, know I will want to back up there. I do want to say, though, that um, train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. You can edit this part. Um, yeah. So the main thing I disagree with uh, the video then is the timeline, right? That this has been since 2012, so seven years, where the, the tradition has been handed on. Whereas we're talking, I mean, <laughs> Obi-Wan says for a thousand generations, we're talking uh, a good, you know, from around 300, maybe even earlier 
probably, yeah, really one, maybe 100 around there until the Reformation. And what I'm talking about there and is that in the medieval mind, it's not that religion and faith was some part of your life over in a, in a corner. Uh, yes, there were explicitly religious practices that uh, maybe that would embody the you know the specific the faith itself right i mean going to mass um, saying confession indulgences that uh, acted on our belief in both this life and in the life to come but i mean you talked about order right for the medieval person they really believed that their whole life was ordered by God and willed by God to be created. We talk about creation. We don't necessarily mean scientifically. Um, yeah, you know, for example, in the spoiler, the Catholic Church is fine with the theory of evolution, but that's a whole other debate, whole other discussion. What I mean there is willed and ordered by God. And so your work and your family and your the the events in the town and the parties, those the the uh, social events in the town for example those were all feast days commemorating saints and moments in the life of christ and of mary that were also good opportunities for a party <laughs> so what the legitimation crisis specifically was then was this question over who has a monopoly or whether or not the Pope and the bishops and monks and theologians have a monopoly over uh, who determines what that order is. Or I should say this unified body of Pope and bishops and monks and theologians. Because again, that's the way things were for you know a thousand years, well, more, yeah, 1300 years, uh, was that the this this was the educated class these were the ones who had the, the money and the time and the mental faculties sometimes <laughs> to to study these things and to learn latin um and so you know so i mentioned the with the sale of indul with indulgences specifically here's the thing the catholic church still grants indulgences what that yeah. means <laughs> is um you, you go on this pilgrimage or you do this good work and you get a few millennia off of purgatory. Now, <laughs> that's problematic in, in some way as an Anglican, I can say, okay, why do we have such a mechanical understanding of getting out of purgatory into heaven? Um, but the bigger problem was they were, uh, they were selling them <laughs> and to build, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there was, it was, it was corrupt. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was a corrupt process. And I, th I think that that just goes back to the skepticism in mm -hmm. the star Wars world yeah. about who's making money and why, and are my emotions, my memories, mm -hmm. my identity that's wrapped up in this thing called being a star Wars fan. Yeah. Am I being manipulated? And yeah. I think that that's, that's kind of what you're describing there is a manipulation of people's emotions and vulnerability in the context of their faith. Now, the thing about the structural legitimation crisis, because yeah. the Reformation was a lot of different things at once. Yeah, understandable. In terms of the structural aspect to it, 
in the popular imagination, we have Luther making this big <laughs> protest, big show. I'm going to nail these theses to this church door, these 95 things. The video says 95 thing, ways the church, the Catholic church sucks. Well, actually, what Luther was doing was basically he was just doing his job. He was a monk, a professor, a theologian. He was part of the system itself. And all he was trying to do was, well, actually, to, to nail a set of theses to a church door. Was it a watershed uh, moment, though, when he did that? It ultimately became that. But the actual yeah. act itself was the standard way of calling for an academic debate in the late medieval world. He was yeah. again. And so in, in, the, in this video, what, mm -hmm. what that is sort of likened to mm -hmm. in a sense is that you had this moment with Martin Luther. And again, like it's kind of aggrandized in the way that we, we talk mm -hmm. about in history, nailing the grievances to the door mm -hmm. um, and, and people see it. And, and it's sort of, we look back on it as like, okay, this is sort of when, when the pot was really just like really being stirred in these communities. Mm -hmm. And, and now what we have in our, our hyper fast moving information society is again, in the context of star Wars, we are now all creators. Mm -hmm. Everybody is a brand. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has a YouTube show and a podcast. And the, <laughs> the fandom are not just receiving Star Wars movies anymore and sitting at home playing with their toys. It is a circular relationship, the prosumer relationship, where you are not just the consumer, but you're also participating by your habits in the production of what is coming next. It's sort of a, a market ideology about how, about how franchises work these days, that we play a part in it. Like Star Wars, the fact that they bring podcasters to Star Wars Celebration and give them a stage is part of the prosumer mm -hmm. relationship. We're part of how this is all going down. And the idea is kind of that Martin Luther, there are a thousand Martin Luthers on YouTube, <laughs> you know, nailing, nailing their, their screeds mm -hmm. uh, to, the, to the door, aka, you know, your recommended videos tab. Mm -hmm. Like I've got this, I've got this video that we've been talking about pulled up, Wisecrack, and then, you know, I've got 10, 15 recommended videos of, <laughs> uh, of white guys complaining about the new movies. Like that's, that's basically what is just all down the right panel is why these movies are a disappointment. Yeah. These things are the worst. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sorry to say like these videos have millions of views. <laughs> they, have, they have millions of views. And I think that can't be understated like yeah. or overstated how much of an impact that has had on sort of rankling this era of the fandom divide. Mm -hmm. There is this crowd that lives on YouTube and there's this crowd that lives on Twitter. And when they collide, it's very ugly. <laughs> and so what I do appreciate about the video is, yes, in, uh, in, in terms of scale, the printing press did have as much impact in in that society as the internet did today. It's not an exaggeration. Um, mm -hmm. Ability to disseminate ideas, to disseminate literature in German, in English, <laughs> uh, to have debates in vernacular that people can read and engage with. I think what I want to pull back and pull the brakes on, though, is that Luther, in nailing the theses, was not trying to spark a legitimation crisis because to deny the Pope's legitimacy at that stage, to deny... Criminal, right? 
unthinkable. Like it, it was yeah. important. Like as in literally, why would you want to? That's just what. That's what the Eastern Church did with the Great Schism five hundred years before. Right. Mm-hmm. Schism is is the the worst sin imaginable. There. So, but what ended up happening is, um, what he did want to do was he saw the you know the sale of indulgences and he he saw the theology undergirding that as we get to heaven because of something we do whereas wait a minute the text the gospel itself actually says we have eternal life with god because of something god has done through uh, through jesus and come to us and so what he wanted to do was say, okay, the Pope, bishops, you can be legitimate as long as you base your actions on scripture rather than these traditions that have accrued over time. Yeah. So this is immediately gets me to wanting to flip the parallel on its head when it comes to someone, like the greatest prosumer, I think, of Star Wars in the last how many or, or the the mo- not the greatest, but I think one of the most important, frankly, what is Ryan Johnson, because what he did was say, okay, wait a minute, you've had this uh, understanding of the story and of Luke as the one who ignites the green and kicks tar, and yet wait a minute, going back to the actual text. Uh, he didn't do that. He threw the saber away. And so I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but to say, yeah, that's, he's the real reformer there, I think in in some ways and, or in that way specifically. And And it's quite clear that, you know, even, even the Mark Hamels of the world just could not stop talking about how uncomfortable it made him. Right. I mean, and, and gosh, I mean, they, they've, they, I think they eventually just like gave up on trying to keep him quiet. You know, it's, it's crystal clear from the amount of interviews that he gave that Mark Hamill was very uncomfortable with the direction of the new gospel and the idea that the canon was being subverted. That's literally what was said. And that the movie was being made, the new movies are being made to, to craft a better story, not to serve fandom, not to yeah. serve, not to serve the faithful. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's important. That's a huge, I think, I think gap, I guess, from from where where Mark Hamill wanted to take it. But mm-hmm. honestly, I think George Lucas would have thought the similar thing. Like, I'm not making movies for the fans. I'm making them for me. <laughs> he was all about that, and you know, but he and was I, God. He but he was God. And Ryan Ryan sure. Johnson. Ryan Johnson. I don't know if he has that mantle. No, but he's to to take the the Luther parallel here. <laughs> he's he's quoting chapter and verse. Mm-hmm. He's saying again, what did Luke do? He threw the saber away. So what do I have Luke do? I have him throw the saber away. Now here's the thing: is I've actually gone on uh, my own podcast, and I don't, I don't want to word this. Oh, you're referring to throwing the saber away in Return of the Jedi, and then throwing it away. Yes. In the next movie. Yeah. yeah. Now. I want to. I love Mark Hamill. I think he's one of the greatest ever. I frankly think he. I think he missed what at first missed what this was about. Um, and 
I think he came around to at least seeing it, even if he didn't agree with it. Fair enough. Yeah, he seems like he says that and like while he rolls his eyes. <laughs> yeah, and and I definitely think, uh, and I definitely think Luke was wrong, right? I and he he misinterprets the events of the prequels, and that's a whole other uh, whole other thing. I think in the film as a whole. Yeah, I mean, that gets and well, what the film as a whole does is stop and ask this question. Wait a minute. Okay, we're about to embark on the final chapter. Yeah, that's this is the perfect time to stop. We and understand ask this our own history. Yeah. Do we? Yeah. Do we know what we're about? Do we think it's let the past die, kill it if we have to? Yeah. No. It's this is how we win, not by killing what we hate, mm-hmm. but by saving what we love, and. Good point. Good point. And so, and that's the thing. I mean, with Rose and everything she says, you don't have to like her. You don't have to. Uh, you can make her. She can be uncomfortable with that. You can. Yes, there. Some things can seem a bit preachy in her scenes, especially in Kento Bite. But are you? And I, and I ask all the listeners out there breaking the fourth wall for a second. Can you at least see how? What she's saying gets to the heart of what the 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 Star Wars saga is about. Yeah, I mean for sure. And I think I think just to round us round us down here, you know, the reason that I wanted to do this episode is because I'm just I'm I'm really interested in in why Star Wars fandom is like it is now because it it is unquestionably different because we're in a very different world than we lived in when the prequels concluded, and. I think it is okay to be skeptical. It is okay to not be enjoying every new thing that comes out. It's okay to not like The Last Jedi. Like, heck, I think the person who legitimizes it more than anything is like, if Mark Hamill is confused by what they did with Luke, you have a right to be confused about it as well. For sure. But what people don't have a right to do is be hateful about it. Like, that's that's where the line is. And it's, it's whether or not you look at change in the gospel and change in the community as a threat and something that you become hostile over, or it's something that you need to reflect on. And I think Mark Hamill took the path of reflection and thinking about all of this and thinking about whether or not Star Wars was, if even he, you know, one of the popes understands <laughs> Star Wars. And I think he came to the conclusion that maybe he didn't and that there was more to understand about it. And if you choose the dark side, you end up an angry YouTuber <laughs> sounding about SJW droids in the Solo movie and sounding like a ridiculous cartoon. <laughs> like these are the, these are the paths. Uh, you don't have to be angry about it. Just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I thought what I liked about this video was it, it, without saying and making judgments about the fandom and the movies, just sort of laid out a way to understand it. And I feel like now I do more than I did mm-hmm. before. Yeah, and and you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, our response to change, and uh, and you, and I think even just your last episode in terms of the American project in crisis and the way, and you had episodes before uh, before the hiatus. I don't know if that's what you guys are calling it. Um, that's what we'll call it. Sure, the hiatus <laughs> um, about yeah having to share the table in yes. the inclusion diversity and you know you and i are white-skinned males who white-skinned straight males who have to uh share the table and 
that's challenging and that's uncomfortable. And we have the choice either to see it as a threat or see it as an opportunity. Absolutely. And our humanity. Yeah. And I, I think that that, again, like, I don't want to beat, beat on a dead horse. Cause like, again, you mentioned, I talked about it last week. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is what democracy feels like. It's painful. Mm-hmm. And what we are experiencing is more of it, which is more voices, more inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a growing pain and I think it yeah. gets better. I think it gets mm-hmm. better. Um, and I, I have hope. I really do believe. So will Star Wars die? Well, did Catholic, <laughs> did Catholicism die? No. It did not. Catholicism is still with us. It is going through another sort of tough period in its existence, but very different reasons. Um, So I think Star Wars is going to be just fine. And that brings us to the end of our segment on the Fandom Reformation, bringing us to Bantha Fodder, where... Matthew and I will both get to discuss and share something that's been on our minds, Star Wars, politics, or otherwise, uninterrupted and unabridged. Matthew, you're my guest. Please, what is your fodder? What's on your mind this week? Well, so uh, maybe last week when the uh, the whole Trump tweeting out, you know, the, the, I want to be specific, the Jews in Israel love me like the king of Israel, thing, or, or, and bringing up the whole Messiah um, complex if you will and i want to be he was quoting tweet quoting someone else who also has a bit of a a shady basis it's old news so i don't want to get into it directly but what it made me think of and, and this is related to our episode today is first of all i until this moment i kept hoping that trump would say something that would finally get more conservative evangelical base to see just how damaging he is to, well, to everyone, I think. I know that, you know, <laughs> I'm not biased at all there. Um, damaging to society, damaging specifically to the place of people of faith, of Christian faith in the public square. And after this after this moment after this happened i just finally realized you know i realized the obvious i i just i don't think that's really ever going to happen um just accepted that as long as this man is president they're going to going to ignore the you know the, the litany that we've heard already right the uh, uh you know just his, his personal moral indiscretions to be <laughs> uh you know, reserved about it. But especially the, the thing that's going to define the Trump presidency for me is separating young children at the border and leaving them in these cages. And um, the the way and, and the fact that there are people who claim to be Christians who still will support this guy. And I say claim to be Christians, um, and and that that's too weak. They are Christians, and I can't deny that they are Christians. Um, and that's there are two things that concern me. There is, well, I guess one thing mainly that concerns me. There is, what is the backlash going to be? What's going to happen next? And what are the what's going to relationship with uh, you know, the the tax status and the level of 
trust that people of faith will have in the public square. Now, I want to be clear, the thing I'm worried about is not the thing that that community I find is is very afraid of and scared of. This, <coughs> sorry, this mob of angry militant atheists come to strip our rights away. No, what, what concerns me is, frankly, we've done this to ourselves uh, very much. There are clear parallels to the Jedi and getting mixed up in politics of the Republic. And that's a, a whole other thing that you can listen on for Christ's sake, Anakin, about just, again, another shameless plug. But, and, and I say we, yes, I'm Canadian, but we share a society. And, uh, you know, Canadian, we don't pretend that uh, we're, we're a different society. We're part of American society. So, yeah, that that's my concern because Christians have done such great work, especially on municipal level. I think of bishops being involved in and poverty initiatives. I think of uh, I'm Anglican in Canada and our, our part brothers and sisters in the Episcopal Church of the United States actually standing up for immigration reform and uh, lobbying for the rights and welfare of these kids who have been locked in these cages. And uh, I know it's a harsh way of putting it, but we can't sugarcoat that. You know, have we just completely eroded any sense that uh, you know, anyone of, of faith has, or that, that faith commitments actually have any place in the public square? What I don't know, quite frankly, is should they can we be trusted <laughs> maybe i'm pulling a bit of a, a luke right now it was can we be trusted to have political power uh, our election is coming up in october i already know i'm gonna vote ndp i can just put that out there right now you know the conservative leader he may or may not claim uh, christian faith you know other political leaders may, may or may not Christian, claim Christian faith. The leader of the NDP, I believe, is Sikh. What I do know is the religious test. Uh, the, thankfully, at least maybe this is the silver lining, is uh, I hope that this has struck a decisive blow to the religious test, that there is no guarantee that just because you're Christian, means you're going to be any have any more wisdom or any more integrity than any other leader that you're going to be any better for society now that is sad and i'll finish this because clearly i as a person of faith do believe that uh faiths faith in god christian faith in particular does have something to say positively for society the order that i talked about of uh our whole lives pushes me in a more egalitarian direction. Um, and, and I think that that is an important voice. It's just, how do we regain that going forward in light of everything that's come in the last, especially in the last few years, um, but also in the last few decades.
All right. Thank you, Matthew. So my fodder, um, I'm going to be in Atlanta this coming week. If you're going to Dragon Con, I will see you there, but I will only see you there on Monday, the final day, Labor Day of Dragon Con, when everybody is probably leaving. So that kind of stinks, but I'll be there. Uh, very briefly, I'll be doing a panel um, on the uh, the divide between uh, the rebels in their rise against the empire and how they fight back. And I'm very excited. We're going to be doing the panel with a couple individuals, Thomas Harper, Riley Blanton, um, and some others on, you know, what it sort of looks like to face tyranny and how in many ways radicals and rebels support each other in the effort to overthrow say fascistic governments uh, and tyranny in general, how in, in some ways, you know, having your radical, your person who's almost like an undemocratic character in a resistance movement serves a purpose to your more moderate mainstream rebels, your people like Mon Mothma, um, because they, they make them work harder. They make them pursue the goals. They make them not settle. And how that is how you ultimately are, are most likely to overthrow uh, evil regimes. And I'm I'm, I'm excited to do it. I'm, I'm sad to say it was the subject of controversy when the panel was announced for Dragon Con. Um, I think because maybe I'm considered controversial because I'm not on the left. And then the, the panel itself was framed as um, one of the Are the Empire Bad panels which I don't like. I, I don't find them to be offensive, but I find them to be boring. Like we've, we've had this goofy, you know, hypothetical tongue in cheek debate now for 20 years about, you know, was the empire actually bad? Maybe they were actually just trying to maintain order. And it's like a fun conversation to have with your buddies when you're just goofing around, but it's like incredibly unserious in my opinion. And so there was a perception that the panel was going to be about that, that, you know, their rebels were bad too. And, you know, it's true that some of the rebels had stronger tactics than others, but that's not what the panel was. I think it was framed poorly in, in the way that we were, were describing it in the panel description. So it's been changed. It's been updated. Uh, I, I was just really sad that there was um, a backlash against what the panel was going to be. So we clarified a little bit, but it's about how rebels and radicals work together um, to more effectively face tyranny. So we'll be there Monday, Atlanta. It's in the morning. Hope to see you there. And uh, please come say hi afterwards if, uh, if you're around. And with that, that concludes Bantha Fodder. And it concludes episode 72 of Beltway Bantha, Star Wars politics and more. This has been the Fandom Reformation. And I'm your host, Stephen Kent. And I've been joined today by Matthew Nugabauer. Matthew, where can folks find you on Twitter and follow some of the work that you're doing? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at NUG45. Yeah, at the top, I posted a tweet about Anglicanism, church stuff, Star Wars, uh, Association Football, also known as soccer. <laughs> Big fan there. Um, That's funny. I actually had no idea what that meant when you mentioned uh, it earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, I've just moved over on my podcast to Anchor. Uh, so anchor.fm slash FCSA. It's the still again the bleeding heart of that is is Star Wars the prequel trilogy. I'm expanding it to uh, different fandoms, but still hopefully going to approach it with this kind of in, this more intellectual commentary, theological commentary. 
Um, lastly, you can follow me on Instagram at MNUG1138. MNUG1138. Uh, you can see all my photos from Fan Expo Canada this past weekend. Fantastic. And you all should do that. My handle is Stephen underscore Kent 89. Stephen with a PH underscore Kent 89. And follow Beltway Banthas at Beltway Banthas. You know how to spell it if you're listening to this podcast. Please subscribe. We are back. Uh, this podcast will be in your feed every other week. So that usually amounts to about two times a month from now to December. And we will be on air every other week now to December and then taking another break in January to do some show planning. Bellway Banthas is back, my friends, Star Wars politics and more. And we will be back here again in September. Until then, may the force be with you. Always.